It's the last episode of 2018, and I want to thank all of you who are listening and all of those who have shared their brave and vulnerable stories on the show this year. It's been a phenomenal year filled with crazy good episodes, if I do say so myself. I started this episode out wanting to do the best of 2018, but realized as I surveyed the shows that if I did that, it would be a very long episode. So my editor and I pulled numbers at random to do a year-end review. Today's episode does a quick reminder blurb from 10 of the top episodes of the past year. Listen in for some quick refreshers. Stories are our lives and language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with and making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. three angles regarding story on this podcast. The first is the past. When we have stories that are holding us back, we need to do the work to reframe them so that we can move forward in our full power. We don't want to be stuck in stories of shame or fear or self-loathing. The second is the present. Becoming aware of the stories we are telling ourselves today, especially the stories we're telling ourselves about ourselves. These create or diminish our power to live well and be who we came to be. And third are the stories of the future. Every day we plant the seeds for our tomorrow, for the next chapter in our story. And so the things we do today matter to our future story. This is the focus of our first flashback for 2018, doing acts of kindness in the world to create a better story. One of the episodes we did this year, episode 89, was a live discussion with the group who had gathered to do random acts of kindness. In this blurb, Rebecca Dahl Cookston and I are discussing her experiences and the effects, uncomfortable and satisfying, of the RAK. Kindness starts with one person, with one thought toward the other, with one simple act. It really is that simple. And the more you practice it, the more you realize how easy it is. It becomes habitual. I've noticed that when I'm repeatedly focused on trying to find random acts of kindness that I can do, that ideas start popping up more easily. It takes me a while. Sometimes I have to get really creative, but the more I do it, the more easily it comes. Kindness is one of the tools for creating beauty in our life stories. It's a fun tool for sending ripples of goodness out into the world, which at the same time make us, who are doing it, feel good. It's a win-win. They improve our sense of community, our sense of self-worth. It's just a way to delight in the little things that are beautiful and good. I had to break rules. What kind? Uh, Traffic laws and (laughs) public library laws. Oh my gosh. I didn't break into the public library, but I was almost willing to because what I thought I was going to do was tuck money and notes into library books for random people to find in the future. Nice. But the library was closed, so 
Instead, I delivered them to windshield wipers of random cars in the parking lot of the library and also into the book drop of the library. I have this concept of, oh, how is this going to affect other people? How is this going to affect other people? This could be really fun. Think of all the effects this could have on other people. When if I just turn that around and look at myself, what kind of effect is this having on me? I'm having to get over my fear of judging the gentleman who might turn me down if I do this random act of kindness right. on his behalf. Or I'm <clears> going to have to get over my fear of, you know, slipping papers underneath windshield wipers because someone might yell at me. And it's serving me regardless of the effect it has beyond myself. I was reading a quote the other day that said acts of kindness. And I wasn't talking about random, but it was just acts of kindness have a, are a double edged sword because it actually brings happiness and contentment to the person that does it more than it does to the person that is, is done for. It's like once removed an yeah. effect once removed. So, I mean, that's a no lose situation. Everybody so wins. we're actually doing this for selfish reasons. Yeah, I guess so. If it comes down to it, it's all an inside job. <laughs> Always is. In episode 72, I opened a discussion about a story archetype. Story archetypes are the repetitive characters that we see in our stories because they mark crucial points within a story. These are found in fairy tales, but also in our real life stories. In this episode, I'm talking about the threshold guardian or the thing or person that stands as a block to you getting something that you want. It's important to understand this concept so that when your threshold guardians show up in real life, you can see them for what they are. One of the truths about our stories is that as we are writing them, in order to be the hero, we must expect challenge, resistance, and opportunity for growth and learning. That's what the hero's journey is all about. That's how he or she becomes the hero. The threshold guardian will guard the path forward and the stories you create in your mind about who you are, what you want, what you're capable of, and if you can get there, are going to be what determine whether you make it past the guardians. Ask yourself, how do I get around this hobgoblin? What, whatever it is. So let's say, what resistance are you up against right now in your journey? What threshold guardian is challenging your determination and your forward movement? And do you really want what's on the other side of that resistance? Enough to figure out your way around it. Oh, this, this can become a game. It can become fun. Instead of getting stuck in frustration, which is the main emotion that's triggered when something stops us in our path. Instead, we can look at it as a hobgoblin, as a threshold guardian, as someone that is testing us to see if we are worthy for what is beyond the other side. So what do you want really bad right now? Just think about that. And what resistance are you getting to that? What stands in your way? It might be mentally or physically, emotionally, logically, monetarily. There could be all kinds of blocks, all kinds of guardians. And they can even just be caused and created by you. If you were the hero or heroine of a really great movie right now, what creative and crazy interesting things could you implement to make your way past the threshold guardian in your story? One of our most popular series this year was episode 73 through 75, The Search for Annie Schmidt. 
Annie Schmidt, the daughter of John Schmidt, the pianist from the popular group The Piano Guys, went missing in 2016. The subsequent search for her and the discovery of her body was filled with miracles and cooperation, and I did three interviews, one with her mother, one with the woman who found her body, and one with Marty Newey, who was key in the, the search group. Here's a blurb from that series, and feel free to go back and tune in to any of these episodes if you want the full story. Annie was reported missing on Wednesday, October 19th, after her mother arrived at her apartment to go on a camping trip and found out that Annie had not been seen since Sunday. Her car was found near the Columbia River Gorge, and search and rescue teams started looking for Annie in that area. She was from Utah, but she was up in Oregon getting ready to take on a new job, and she she loved the outdoors. She was a soul who went out and loved to hike and did it on a regular basis. There are always times in our stories where we will wrestle with faith, times where we will wonder if God is listening to us, if he's aware of us, times where we won't be able to see ahead, times where we won't know if our prayers are being answered. The story of Annie Schmidt being found is a beautiful orchestration of a larger picture and an illustration of God's hand at work in so many lives. Let's hear from Annie's mom. It was it's remarkable. Lydia was one of the people that was guided and there was Annie Castiel who was guided in a very similar way to Lydia. And John Harding, who was very guided to be a part in a very similar way. And it was almost as if the Lord just kind of, he just orchestrated it. He was giving people dreams and visions and inspirations in order to invite them to be involved and to give up their expertise and to be a part of this amazing experience that happened as so many people came together to help us find her. I'm, I'm dumbfounded at the support that we received and the kindness and the goodness of people. And I don't even know most of their names. Can you share some of those um, experiences, spiritual experiences that you felt like um, carried you through that? One in particular that was huge. It was such a tender mercy. On the morning that the official search and rescue was to begin, Spencer and John headed up earlier with some people up to the to base camp. And our car, our rental car, was locked in a a parking garage that we couldn't get out till later. So I waited and they headed up with other people and I waited to get the car out and come come up later. So as I was driving um, to the base camp for search and rescue, I was by myself and I drove up the gorge for the first time. It had just been pouring rain, but this morning it was clear and just crisp and, and the colors were just vivid. It was just, and as I drove up, to the left of me was the Columbian Gorge and it was surrounded on either side by these beautiful green 
trees and then to the right were these mountains and there was fog and and like clouds intermittent clouds and and waterfalls and it was absolutely the most beautiful breathtaking thing i had ever seen and i just kind of spoke out and said oh annie this is so beautiful and she answered me and said i know mom i knew you'd love it and i just sat there for a moment and thought wow she just spoke to me and she's in the spirit world and she's so happy Jennifer Anderson was meditating and talking with God at 3 a.m. one morning, and she was inspired to create a journal. This journal, entitled 3 a.m. with God, changed her career path and her focus as she focuses now on helping people listen, hear, and act on inspiration. Here is a blurb from that episode. I, again, you know, I'm the type of person I've been living my life and, and I do like to pray and I do like to meditate and ponder and I do like to journal and I do like to read scriptures and I do like to read things that talk about spiritual stuff. You know, there's just so many books and cool things out there and whatnot. So I'm constantly absorbing that. And so it's just, it's just part of who I am. So when I got that three o'clock in the morning date with Heavenly Father, you know, and he woke me up and... Well, how long, how long have you been waking up at three in the morning? Oh, girl, for so, I don't even know, a long time, years. In fact, my little baby girl, I call her my co-creator because there are several times where she wakes me up and I go and I console her, you know, cuddle her, put her back to bed. You know, it's like a three to five minute, you know, deal with her. And then I'm awake enough and it's like, and I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, okay, it's like 311 or 344, you know, whatever it is in the morning. And I'm going, okay, God, I'm up what do you got for me? You know, let's, let's have a, let's have a chat, you know, here we go. And so some really cool stuff has come to me during that time when Sarah, my baby girl helped wake me up. And so, uh, so that's why I call her my co-creator. But I mean, there are even times, Lori, where it's like, seriously, I feel like it's like a voice in my head that just says, wake up. The reason why I wanted to make sure that was in there is I think it's important that we pay attention to trends that are happening for us. And I've noticed that self for myself as well, like when I'm really having a, a good run of meditative time or pondering time, prayer time, scripture time, you know, some of like the routines that happen with all of that, I think it really starts to lead you toward having more inspiration. But I noticed again, you know, with the times, how important that is to write it down and, and then you and then you start to see those patterns that are happening for you. And then now I've been doing this, been writing them down for so long, keeping track. I'm noticing some interesting trends. And what's your, what's your routine at three in the morning? So it's three in the morning. So I, I actually leave my bedroom. Some people stay in their bedroom and they write stuff down, but with my husband, like he, he won't really wake up, but I just have gotten up. I sit Indian style and I put my hands in a meditative way so that my hands are cupped and they're facing up towards the sky. In episode 93, I talk about another story archetype, the Herald. These are real. These are moments where we are called into the adventures of our lives. The big question is, when they show up, when that Herald shows up with that call, do you say yes 
or do you say no? The great stories begin with the call to adventure. The human spirit is born to explore and grow, and change is happening to us all the time. But often it's our choice as to whether or not we accept the invitation. We have to act when the herald shows up, because if we don't, we simply don't embark on that adventure, and that doesn't become a part of our story. So let's talk about some heralds we're familiar with from pop culture. You'll get a clearer idea of what a herald actually is. So R2-D2, he brought the message of Princess Leia that started Luke on the journey of his life. The letter announcing the ball in the Cinderella story opened the door to magic and happily ever after. And yes, a herald can be a letter calling you to an adventure um, or a dream or a herald doesn't necessarily have to be a person. Um, Another example, in The Hobbit, Gandalf invites Bilbo out onto the adventure from which he may not return so hard for Bilbo to decide to leave the Shire. But in reality, this adventure ends up defining his entire life, his legacy. It creates everything. If, If Bilbo had said no and turned down that invitation to adventure, there would have been nothing. He would have lived a quiet an adventurous life there in the Shire. Um, just the comparison of the two, you can see what that means. When, when your herald shows up with a call to adventure, do you take it? Do you not? Mark Shirtliff, a past Attorney General of Utah, shared a vulnerable and personal interview with me about the toll the difficult events of the past few years took on him. His public face got personal in this interview. Tune in to episode 96 for the full interview. Here's a blurb. To do all the things and work so hard and to feel good about serving the people and the things that we started, it all gets lost. It's all, it all goes away. And then you're, the very essence of who I am was under attack and, and displayed all over the Internet and, and local media. And that takes its toll. It's, uh, I've served for years on youth suicide prevention board nationally. I, that was one of my big emphasis as attorney general to go and speak to kids at schools, junior highs and high schools about suicide and so forth. And I, th- I never thought I'd be one that, that got to that point. But I did. I was in D.C. Uh, I'd lost my job there that was finally after leaving office, after all those years, my, f- my family sacrificed. I'd lost all that. I had all these charges. It was like standing on the subway platform and thought how easy would it be everybody knows i've had all these surgeries on my legs and i can't you know i'm i uh, i limp a lot and my legs fail it'd be so easy just to collapse my legs and fall in front of that train you know it would look like an accident so what but kept you from doing it you know Lori, i think i have to just attribute it to divine intervention because i my phone rang and it was a friend of mine who was a former director of the National Association of Attorneys General. Uh, she lives in Virginia. She's a 70-year-old, I call her my Jewish mother, <laughs> but she uh, she just called and she she said, what's going on? I, I couldn't even answer. I was so stunned and so upset. But then I told her and she said, sit down on the bench right now. I'll be there as soon as I can. And she rushed over and took me to her home and sat me down and we talked. And, uh, you know, it was that 
that, that saved me. I told her the other day, I told her, reminded her when she was talking to me about my case that she'd saved my life. And she said, of course, said, no, 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 but I think she did. Do you want someone to understand you better? Share a story that illustrates why you feel as you do. This is a key story tool. Tune in to episode 70 for a whole discussion on sharing stories to create understanding. Once someone knows our stories, they know many things about us. They know the triumphs and the struggles we have faced. They know our responses to those events and the people involved in those events. They know our attitudes and often we display our character by showing our choices during the unfolding of our stories and the lessons we learn through those experiences. Stories are very revealing. Does this create vulnerability? Almost certainly, if told well. Does it create understanding? Without a doubt. Does that understanding change the way we interact with one another? In episode 116, you get a special treat. The book, the ebook, Key to Your Super Self, How Your Stories Unlock Your Personal Power. Only you get it in audio form in episode 116. So here's a blurb just to give you a little taste of that book, discussing how inner stories get created from a young age. If you want to get this book in ebook form, you can go to the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, and a pop-up box will come up after you've been on for a few seconds, and you can sign up for it there. Here's the blurb. When Jared was growing up, his mother yelled a lot. She had five kids, and it was a lot to handle. But to his sensitive little soul, her yelling created a little hole where his worth was questioned on a daily basis. He always seemed to be doing something wrong. And when he did something wrong, or sometimes even didn't, he still seemed to merit being castigated by an angry person. That just didn't feel right to him. What was wrong with him? This was just the start. When junior high came around and he couldn't find any friends to hang out with on a regular basis, he wandered the school halls at lunch feeling stupid, lonely, and like everyone was watching him and noticing that he didn't have any friends. He eventually found some kids he enjoyed, but those moments when he wasn't feeling socially accepted poured a little more water into that hole of diminishing self-worth. He tried out for the track team, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. That was proof he was a loser. He was sure of it. And on it goes. But the truth is that Jared's upbringing and the way he was treated was about his mother's ability to deal with her children, not about whether he was worthwhile as a human being. In addition, what he may not have realized as a young teenager was that everyone has moments when they feel socially alone. And the story can be reframed now with more insight as he realizes that without trying out for things, we can't create the possibility for involvement. The real heroes are in the arena, trying out, falling down, sometimes a lot, and then getting back up. Because that's what heroes do. Not making the team doesn't mean you're not awesome. In fact, just trying out means you are strong, daring, and making shit happen. You are creating possibility. So does Jared create the story deep in his heart that he's a loser and clearly not worth much since no one seems to see a lot of value in him? Or does he understand his worth is not equated with the way others treated him? That's their issue. 
Does he see himself as a loser for not making the team, or does he create the story that serves him much better and is much more in line with reality, that he's fantastic and brave for getting in the arena and creating possibility in his life? Sometimes those stories that are built when we're young build a deep trench that goes with us all the way through maturity, all the way through adulthood. And it's something we need to look at closely because we can look at them now with different eyes and debunk them, find out where they're lies, find out where they are untrue and get rid of them. We human beings, all human beings are story creators. The most powerful stories we will ever create are those we create about ourselves and repeat to ourselves. The reason these stories are so powerful is because they literally create our reality and what we come to perceive as fact about who we are, what we are capable of, and thus how we then interact with the world. These stories stop us every day from being who we came to this earth to be, or they propel us forward with hope and belief in ourselves. It just depends on the story that we craft in our heads, the story that we repeat. Stories can be powerfully liberating or staggeringly limiting. One of the loudest, most destructive stories that goes on in our heads is an attack on our own bodies. Episode 76 is dedicated to a discussion on how to stop this and accept our fabulous, blessed body that allows each of us to do all of the great things that we do. Hal and Sidra Stone wrote a book called Embracing Your Inner Critic. They're both clinical psychologists and they created the voice dialogue process. This is a therapy that gives a platform to the inner critic to talk out loud, bluntly and fiercely. And then they help their clients with tools that can transform that into an ally instead of a critical attacking force. Through their work over the years, they have spoken to thousands of inner critics. And they've been doing this um, at the time they wrote the book. It was about 15 years. And one of the universal things that the inner critic criticizes, no matter the country, the gender, the race, you name it, the one thing that was consistent in all of the people that they talked to, all of the inner critics, was that they always attacked the body. Didn't matter what culture they were from. In their book, they said, quote, the critique of the physical body is so all pervasive, so powerful and exerts such a negative and destructive influence on people's lives that we want to devote a chapter specifically to this area, unquote. They talk about how the inner critic lives in mirrors. It attacks when we're shopping and trying on clothes. People say things like, I don't like the shape of my face, or my hips are too big, or my neck is too short, or my hair just lays there like a wet dish rag. My toes are crooked, my boobs are too small, my boobs are too big, or they're too flabby, or you name it. Anything about the physical form, that inner critic can complain and critique and just really belittle and be mean you. And I dare say that probably everyone's going to be able to relate with this because it's so universal. There are things about ourselves that when we look in the mirror, that inner critic all of a sudden starts criticizing. One of our latest episodes was an interview with Donna Marino, who lost her father in the terror attacks of 9-11. I was honored to get to discuss these events with her and get an inside, individual look at a story that happened inside this national tragedy. Was there ever a 
a hope that he was coming back or did you just know from the beginning that, you know, with the level of catastrophe that he was gone? No, for a long time I just hoped. Even after the memorial service, um, we did the memorial service in late September, which was actually on the early side for a lot of families. A lot of families couldn't couldn't do that, especially without having anything. Um, but even after the mo- memorial, I can I can still remember I would. I would sit out on my back porch of my apartment and I would sit there and uh, bargain. I would sit there and I would be like, okay, God, like there's no body. You can bring him back to me. Like he could still be out there. And I had all these like sort of morbid fantasies of like (laughs) he swam to Ellis Island and is, you know, just like crazy stuff. But like anything and like god if you can do anything and you can make miracles and you can i had this fantasy that he would just um that he would just arrive home like i could picture him in my mind walking up the steps and walking in the front door and not knowing anything that had happened and not being able to explain where he was but he would be home I am honored to be a party to listening and recording the personal, vulnerable, and raw stories of loss and triumph, fear and conquering, standing back up in the arena after the hard stuff hits, and celebrating and discussing ideas that help us all create the best life stories on purpose. Thanks for being a part of the Love Your Story audience. I hope you listen weekly for empowerment and inspiration and share each episode with somebody you know, someone in your sphere of influence who could use a light, an inspiration, a little bit of enlightenment that week. Tune in next week as we start 2019 and be prepared for another fantastic year of stories and support in creating your best life story on purpose. That's what we're all about. You've got the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, with tools, classes, all the episodes, anything you need right there on the website. Check it out and get in touch with me if I can be of any help. Have a great end of the year.